Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. Firstly, I apologise for the last two episodes. I got a new pair of headphones for Christmas and was feeling all bougie and used them to record our last two episodes. And the microphone's not great in them, so I've gone back to my old headphones. So I do apologise about the quality on the last two um, podcasts, but it's better now. You can hear me much better, I hope. Um, it's me again this week and we are going to Wales for the first time since broadening out to the UK and I'm going to tell you about the murder of Harry and Meghan Twos. Samantha, do you actually have any idea about this? Does it ring a bell or anything? No, no idea. Um, and I'm glad you're going to Wales. I've, I've mm-hmm. always, like, you know, I've not ignored it, but I mean, I've looked at cases, but then I'm like, oh, I can't pronounce that. So avoided it. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I think since we were going out to the UK more, I was like, oh, it'd be good to kind of broaden it out past England as well. So we've not hit Northern Ireland yet, but I thought Wales. So I don't know if we've got any listeners from Wales shout out if you do let us know so again yeah glad you mentioned it Samantha I'm sorry if I pronounce everything wrong it isn't too difficult words in here but I mean I can't really say most things yeah we're we're both awful (laughs) yeah like I always remember when I kept pronouncing that place was it Culloden or something (laughs) we digress (laughs) we digress let's get started so our story takes place in 1993 and it is set in Lanharry, which is a small Welsh village. It's south of Cardiff, so about a 30-minute drive. It's small, like that kind of everyone-knows-everyone kind of village, if you get what I mean. It's something I'm not from at all. I live in Edinburgh, so I'm the complete opposite of that. So it was quite isolated and quiet. Last year is the closest I could get to the population and the population was just over 3,000 people in Lanhari. So you're getting the kind of small town vibe. There's not many shops, so like people will go to the bigger cities for their big shops. And as I said, Cardiff's like their kind of big place to go. So as I said, we take place in 1993 and the exact date of our story beginning is the 26th of July, 1993. So 34-year-old Cheryl Twos lives in Kent and she lives there with her boyfriend Jonathan. Now they've been together quite a while her and Jonathan and they live as I said they currently live in Kent but they both are from Wales. Cheryl is the only child of Harry and Meghan so Harry is 67. I believe his original name was actually Henry but he got called Harry and Meghan is 65. They've lived in Lanharry. I could the furthest I could get back was 30 odd years but I'm assuming they kind of like families and decades I'm guessing lived there forever but they lived on where they lived for 30 years and when I say where they lived they actually lived at a 10 acre large farm which was called like Ty RY1 farm I think that's going to be like a Welsh pronunciation I did give you the warning but they lived there for over 30 years and this land itself had actually been in Megan's family for like over a century Um, Harry had spent most of his like kind of working adult life as a greengrocer selling like vegetables and plants that he actually grew on the farm to neighbours and other in the village so you are totally getting what I mean by this like small town like he is the farmer of this village selling the goods that he grows to the people in the village. Now they are also avid churchgoers so much so that when Cheryl and Jonathan got together they actually hid the fact they lived together in Kent out of wedlock from both her parents. When the parents then found out about this 
they like hid this from their friends as well. Like bearing in mind they were together like ten odd years, they're in their mid thirties, but the parents would like hide this from people. So if other relatives went to visit Kent, Jonathan would like move out. So um Cheryl's family didn't think they were together and living together. They just thought she lived by herself. As I said, they are both Welsh. They both met in Union Wales and moved to Kent together for work. Cheryl was currently working as a market researcher and Jonathan was trying to set up a marketing business. So they were both involved in marketing. Now, that day, Cheryl had phoned her parents from Kent and she had called throughout the day and got no answer, which was very strange. Like She was normally in quite common contact with her mum and dad. And as I said, her story is set in 93. So there won't have been really any other way to contact bar probably phoning from her house phone to their house phone. Now, she was actually worried particularly about her dad as Harry had just had a hernia operation and had actually gone deaf in one ear due to a viral infection. So she was worried he had then taken unwell and actually had ended up going to hospital. So she actually phoned round the local like doctors and hospitals to ask if her dad had been like taken in, etc. And he hadn't. So she was really kind of concerned. In the evening, she calls again and there's still no answer. And this is when she gets really concerned. And the key seat, like, kind of, what, signal? I think that's the word I'm kind of looking for. The key thing that she was like, right, okay, is they weren't in around the time of Coronation Street, which was their regular programme that they watched at, like, roughly, I think it's like 7 or 7.30pm. And they weren't in around that. So she was like, hmm. So at 9pm, she phones a man named Owen Hopkins, who is a neighbour to the farm, and asks him to go round and check on them. So Owen goes round and knocks on the front door, and there's no answer. However, the door was actually unlocked, because obviously, small town village in the 90s. So he just goes straight in, and he finds a cooked, uneaten lunch in the kitchen, and the table is all laid out with, like, the fancy tableware. So he tells Cheryl this, and she, like, knows something's wrong, because she's like, right, okay, why would they have their cooked, uneaten lunch? out in the kitchen but also there's I'll go on to the kind of about the stories are not a lot of evidence so something I will mention quite frequently is the fact that the nice fine china was out because Cheryl said they would only have got that out if they were having a special guest or somebody of importance round for lunch so this was laid out so this is where we're at. Now, Cheryl then asks her boyfriend, Jonathan, to actually drive to Wales from Kent and to go and actually be there and check if her mum and dad are okay. She didn't go because she was working, which is something I'm going to go on to talk about a bit more later. But just I want you to remember that, that she didn't go because she was working the next day. So Jonathan leaves Kent about 10 to 10, 11 p.m. to then drive to Wales. Now, he calls from a service station at around 1am and says he was delayed due to the weather conditions. Now, this is July. I've not been to Wales and I don't really know what the weather is like. I'm assuming rain, as it is like Wales and England, lol. So even though, even though it's July, it's probably still like two degrees. Um, so he was 66 miles away when he phoned. So he got there about two hours later, around 3am, which is a long time to drive 66 miles because... If you're thinking he's on motorway, which is roughly 70 miles per hour, you get what I mean. But again, he said there was weather conditions, so alas. By the time he gets there, the police have actually broken into the farm and are having a proper search for them. Now, Jonathan's kind of just there, like being there for Cheryl. Again, it's not exactly like he can be texting her and being like, this is what's happening. Like he's just kind of there as the police are doing their things. And then the police tell Jonathan that a man's body has been located in the cow shed. Jonathan is then told shortly afterwards a female's body has also been found in the cowshed. Now, 
a note that the police made at this time was Jonathan didn't ask if this was Harry that was found or if this was mine that was found. He didn't ask at all, which I don't know if that makes him look suspicious or, like, is it one of those that he's like, well, of course it is. Like, if you were missing and I went to your house and I'm like, I found a female's body, I'm not going to be like, oh, I wonder who that is. Do, do you know what I mean? But... Yeah, you're not going to be like, oh, was that Sam? It's like, well, you went to her house, obviously. Yeah, whereas to the police, I don't know if they've then seen that as, well, he's not asking because he knows. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind. So Jonathan asked the police if he could be the one to tell Cheryl, and he then gets back into the car and drives the two odd hours back to Kent. So this man's just going up and down the road. Um, but by the time he gets back, the police have actually called her already and told her that they have found the bodies of both her parents dead on their farm. Now, he arrives back at Kent and found Cheryl obviously very upset and she basically gets in the car and they drive back to Wales. Now, the way that Harry and Meghan were killed was very similar to like what the police have described as execution style, where they had been shot in the back of the head at close range. Now, the detectives worked out that on the day, they obviously lived on a farm in Lanharry Meadow, which is, as I said, a big isolated farm, lots of trees and sheds and everything on the land. On that day, they had gone to a big Tesco, which was in a kind of nearby town, and then stopped into the post office in Lanharry. They then returned home around noon, cooked lunch, put away their shopping, laid out their best cutlery and crockery on the table, and then it just stops. Now, there's a woman that lives next door, Joyce Davis, um, recalled hearing two gunshots 30 seconds apart from each other at around 1.30pm. So she didn't report this, just to clarify, but Harry had problems with rabbits on his land and she believed it was that, so she never called the police. And at first I was like, why would you not call the police if you heard two gunshots? But we need to remember that she, they lived on farms where guns are illegal and guns were legal in the UK at this time anyway, like especially farm guns. So just to kind of make that clear why Joyce didn't call that in. Now, the police begin looking at the crime scene, but one of the main issues from this crime scene is it has not been preserved. On that night, neighbours, Jonathan, police, everyone was in and around the property. Like someone actually stayed in the house the full duration of the night, like an officer. So the house wasn't cornered off as a crime scene so like Jonathan was walking around touching things the police the neighbours like Owen was in the house touching things so if you're going to start looking for fingerprints and DNA everyone's all over everything so that's a really really difficult situation for the police to be in when it comes to preserving a crime scene um so a lot as I said a lot of this um, evidence was then deemed contaminated so it was very difficult for the police to work out which was actual usable evidence or not especially if they were looking to charge somebody how could they use evidence that's then contaminated a murder-suicide was considered, but A, it was in the back of the head, which, how would you do that? But also it was ruled out as they actually found drag marks from the house to the shed. So then it becomes a double murder investigation, which completely shook this whole small town. Like, this is probably one of those that there is no such thing as murder in this town. Also, like, motive. They can't find anything. This family have no enemies they're just like kind of confused by this so one of the first things the police go to is perhaps they've like disturbed an intruder like if a robbery's been taking place or a robber's tried to break in and steal anything and this kind of ended up just like killing them but there was money and jewelry left untouched like Harry had literal cash in his pockets that wasn't taken and nothing was missing from the house nothing was missing from the farm at all so this is ruled out pretty quickly now, they were both shot two to three feet away in the back of the head by a shotgun, which wasn't the type of gun Harry used, so it actually wasn't found on the farm. So this gun will have had to be brought to the farm. So 
the way the police described it as well as a potential professional shot or determination and I was kind of confused by that at first but what they'd kind of meant is like it's either someone that knows how to handle a gun or someone who was so adamant to kill this couple that they just managed to get it done pretty well now they also mentioned that the person would have been covered with blood splatter because there was loads of blood and sorry but probably body tissue as well because they actually found lots of blood and body tissue in the shed so they didn't find blood anywhere else apart from the cow shed not in the house not in the paths outside nothing so did this person go into the house and clean up like did they feel comfortable enough to go in and then start cleaning up you've this isn't as uncommon as like you might think there's been loads of crime stories where like people have then got changed cleaned up you even hear about people that have like then gone to the toilet or whatever after they've murdered someone in their home so it could be that this person was familiar with the house and actually felt comfortable enough to go and get changed and get like their bloody clothes off so while the pathologists were looking at the bodies hypostatus had actually set in and i don't know if you know what that is samantha which is why i'm going to describe it to you so i'm going to basically describe the very like dictionary definition so hypostatus is the accumulation of fluid or blood in the lower parts of the body or organs under the influence of gravity as occurs in cases of poor circulation or after death so to then put it in our speak that is basically when you die and you're lying for example on your back all the blood will pull to your back it'll all kind of like drop down and then it'll kind of set there so people will be able to see what position you were lying in when you died does that make sense, Sam, or do, am I just completely explaining this wrong? No, no, that makes complete sense. Um, yeah, like very CSI, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sets in about half an hour after death and then stays in patches for roughly two to three hours later. So Harry had it on both front and back, but it was more clear on the site he actually wasn't found on. So I don't know if Harry was face down or on his back. I don't actually know. But what the police had said was the opposite side to which he was lying had more blood. So Harry has been moved. But this means he was moved potentially three to four hours after he's died. So was the person still there? Like, has the person killed him, left him and then dragged him somewhere? Like, did they stay there? Is this when they went and got cleaned up? Have they came back? Megan also had it but it was a lot less so was she killed later or was she killed in a different position that's again i'm, I'm asking all these questions but i don't have the answer for you i'm very sorry now to discuss the that is so she, interesting oh. though so, sorry to interrupt but like, yeah yeah it's so interesting that that sort of thing happens in your body for like the people who are investigating your murder can just tell oh you were lying that way but you were also lying this way yeah sorry yeah, 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 no, it is. And it's like, obviously, I'm so confused by the whole Megan's being less. Like, it's very rare that they would have killed Harry and then kept her alive. So how is hers less if they pretend were both killed at the same time? Anyway, so the crime scene. I kind of want to talk to a bit more about that. Obviously, I mentioned the china being laid out, but I just kind of want to tell you a bit more about the house. So a white shirt of Harry's was actually laid out on the bed. So... Was he planning on going somewhere or was he expecting someone? Like there was a white shirt laid out on the bed that looked like he was going to be putting it on. He obviously had the nice crockery and the cutlery laid out, which their daughter Shells adamantly did not use this every day. They only used it for special occasions or special visitors. So this whole crime scene is given the impression that they were expecting somebody and not just a random kind of everyday run-of-the-mill neighbour visitor. They were expecting a visitor. But who? 
did someone come round? Did someone stop by? Or someone then was like, oh, perhaps the killer maybe laid it out trying to set a scene to pretend it's something, but like they wouldn't have known it was the fine china. Like, I think that's quite a reach. But to me, I think they were expecting somebody. But the main question is, who were they expecting? Now, they obviously fingerprint the crime scene, but obviously this is a lot of contamination. And there was a cup of tea on the coffee table that had both Harry and Megan's print on it, but it also had Jonathan's, the boyfriend. This is like, why? Did he touch it? Because he was obviously in the living room. He was left alone to sit on the sofa while the police were in the shed finding the bodies. So did he pick it up? He says he can't remember if he did, but he could have. And Megan also says the last time this like cutlery was used probably was Christmas. And she said Jonathan would have definitely picked the cup up at Christmas. So have the print stayed on. Also, to be a bit more CSI, the police tried but couldn't work out if whose print was on top of whose. Because there was obviously a combination of prints, but they couldn't tell you if like Jonathan's prints had been there longer than Megan's or if Megan's were on top of Jonathan's or vice versa. They tried to do that, but they couldn't find an answer for that. But obviously, these fingerprints on the cup does make them start to look suspiciously at Jonathan. Now, obviously, when Jonathan was told the body was in the cow shed, he did ask if it was Harry. We've discussed that. He also just kind of sat quietly waiting in the living room. And the police even thought that was a bit strange. Like, they're kind of looking for your in-laws' dead bodies and you're just kind of chilling out in their living room. But then, to play devil's advocate, what, what else was he meant to do? Like, would you not? Would it not be then more suspicious if he's getting up in your way and trying to, like, what, what's he going to do? Like, oh, I'll help. And it's like, no, no, you don't need to help. So just to play devil's advocate, um, the house rent, his like, his house rent, Jonathan's house rent, was overdue. And Cheryl didn't know this. So a main kind of suspicion for the police is money, as Harry and Meghan had life insurance policy for around 150-odd thousand. So in the 90s, that's a huge amount of money. And that would have gone to Cheryl, their only child, and then gone to her partner of 10 years, Jonathan. So that would have been their money, and that would have obviously helped with the bills, etc. So both John, uh, Cheryl and Jonathan are taken into a police station in Wales and are interviewed separately. Jonathan's story is that he was in Kent that day looking for premises for an office to set up his business. Now, but when the investigators tried to, like, find proof of him making these inquiries, they couldn't. So they've asked, like, what places did you go to? And he was like, oh, do you know, I was going around offices, like, inquiring, but nowhere seems to have a note of that. So they believe he then drove to Wales and killed Cheryl's parents. But that would be a seven-hour round trip. But he was unaccounted for and out of the flat for 10 hours that day. So he said he went out in the morning. He said he came back around 1.30 and then went back at around 3pm. So he said he wasn't out all day, he came back for his lunch and tidied up and then went back out. And he says he actually spoke to the lift engineer that day, he says there was some work getting done in their apartment block and he actually spoke to the lift engineer. Now, when the police speak to the lift engineer, he doesn't recall having a conversation with Jonathan, but Jonathan said he had a conversation with him. Cheryl wasn't sure if he'd been in the flat when she returned from work, but she said it was a bit tidier than she remembered when leaving. So said there's potentially he could have. She's like, I'm not saying 100% he did, but I'm also not saying he didn't. Now, the police obviously ask her why she didn't come to Wales to check on her parents, which is something I mentioned earlier. And again, I could just be like really thinking into this, but like with the relationship I have with my mum and the relationship she seems to have with her parents, if I live in a different country and my parents were unaccounted for and I was as worried as she was to send Jonathan, I would definitely be going with my partner to go and check on my parents. I don't know if that's the same as you, Sam, but like she stayed at home for work, at sack work. If I was that... Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm not going into work. Yeah, so 
that's how I kind of thought. So I was like, right, okay. Mm, so the police obviously say, like, why didn't you take the day off work if it was generally this serious? And she kind of was like, well, you know, Jonathan went, blah, blah, blah. Now, the police then decide to inform Cheryl that they are now looking at Jonathan as a suspect. So, obviously, though, is there other suspects? Like, we're now looking at Jonathan, but is there any other suspects? Well, there was a man in a trench coat seen in June walking along with, like, a whole doll bag. And he looked suspicious, so much so that people actually call this into police. And while this is all ongoing with um, the Tooses, a uh, witness actually believes the man that she then saw walking down the street in the trench coat was Jonathan, as it looked really like him. Now, it came out that Jonathan did have a long trench coat, but when he was asked about it, both him and Cheryl vouched that they gave it to charity a year before. So he did have a, sh- a trench coat, and he was seen in a trench coat by his friends who said they saw him in it, but they've said he went to charity ages ago. They gave it to charity like a year or so before. Now, so there's enough evidence by this point, for example, his reaction, believing that the story was all lies, his flat being left on repayment, something on to Cheryl, blah, 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 that two months later, the police go to Cheryl and Jonathan's flat and arrest Jonathan for the murder of Harry and Megan. Now, Megan, not Megan, sorry, Cheryl was assuming he would get home quite soon and this would all be a misunderstanding, but that wasn't the case. He's actually kept in jail until this trial and police confirmed to the public they have someone in custody and he's the only person they're looking at. Now, they believe the money, uh, that motive was the money, um, to go that would go to Cheryl and he would inherit this. Now they believe he they think he got the train from Kent to Wales, turned up, surprise, I'm here for lunch. They're like, oh, get the nice cut of the day out, oh, go get changed. And he's then murdered them and got the train back without Cheryl knowing. Now Cheryl completely sides with Jonathan. She said Jonathan wouldn't do this. He saw them as in-laws. She also said regarding the whole fine China thing, she was like, my mom and dad wouldn't have got that out for Jonathan because he was family. So the, it's not like the, like my dad wouldn't put a shirt on for him kind of thing. She argues they had a good relationship with the parents and she stands by him the whole trial. Now, the police had a crime scene analysis come in and he came up with a following that for that day, Harry was shot in the back of the head in the cow shed. He was then placed in a trough. He was then covered over with hay and tarpaulin. Megan was shot on the other side of the kitchen as if she was trying to escape. So it's like Harry was killed first, Megan was trying to escape. This may be just like with the whole blood pooling thing, but I wouldn't have said it was that much longer. You're talking to kill someone, cover them in tarpaulin. You're not looking at very long. Um, that single drag mark outside the house, it wasn't found on Harry or Megan, but it was most likely Megan who was dragged and she was covered in the cow shed by a carpet. So this is, we believe, what happened. But obviously, this is just crime scene analysis. We'll never obviously know because the only people there were Harry, Megan and whoever killed them. Now, the trial began and he was painted as this family annihilator, like hungry for money kind of vibe. And the trial lasts 11 weeks and he pleads not guilty. The prosecution do have a lot of evidence, but it's all circumstantial. So it's very much like the whole fingerprint on the teacup, his reaction on the sofa. It's very, very weak. It's all like the you know the fact he's rents overdue. That fair enough, but like saying that you're then going to go on to kill your like in laws is a huge statement to make. The defense argue like why didn't they speak to the woman that heard the gunshots? Because like, the police have actually never really spoke to her about it. They also the same neighbor reported that she heard Harry have a full on argument with someone at the farm gates about two months or so before, and this was never really mentioned until now. Now, the jury come to a verdict, and by this point, everyone kind of knows that Jonathan is going to get off with this. There is not enough evidence to put him away. However, the jury come back when they return a verdict of guilty 10 to 2. 
Now, even the judge was shocked and made it clear he was quite stunned by this. And he then had to sentence Jonathan to life in prison. The judge, who is Mr Justice Jervjay, I think his name is, admitted that the prosecution's case was weak. And he said that the suspect they would like, you know, they would be looking for would be cold and ruthless, not Jonathan, who's been in court. He was like, that is not the type of person that would do that. He said he did not think there was enough evidence to find him guilty for murder, but the jury did, so he had to act as a judge. Now, Cheryl is still backing him and actually offers a £20,000 reward for information. And she actually loses a lot of family and friends through this because she is completely backing the person that's been found guilty of killing her parents. So can you imagine, like, I don't know if she has them, but like aunties, uncles, cousins, they're probably thinking, like, what the hell are you on about? But Cheryl is adamant that Jonathan did not kill her parents. Jonathan obviously appeals this, and appeal is actually granted on 20 grounds of appeal. Now, fresh evidence is brought in, and they make actually his description of events plausible. Like, when they talk about, I think they go back to the lift engineer and get some more information from him. And this time, the actual description of events is plausible. He could have done it. So on the 25th of April, 1996, three appeal judges allow the appeal and quash all of the convictions against Jonathan. So Jonathan again is a free man and Cheryl is waiting for him and they walk out the court arm in arm and they actually live happily ever after they go on to marry and have two children together I don't know if they're still together now but that's the update I kind of have on that so obviously if we're kind of here for the murders not Cheryl's happily ever after which is lovely the murders are still unresolved in 2000 there was a review of the cases that went underway but they didn't obviously publicize any of the findings in 2003 10 years later the police get an anonymous letter regarding this case but they didn't publish the contents of the letter and they pleaded for the writer to come forward as they believed it was a real letter so I don't know if this is from someone that's witnessed or if it's from someone actually admitting to potentially killing them I don't know they didn't publish any of the contents of this letter in 2008 South Wales police South Wales police sorry scaled down the investigation but they didn't close it so this is where we kind of are I obviously can chat loads about theories and people always talk about good theories bad theories and there's just one theory that I kind of found about this case that I kind of want to talk about just briefly that they believe he was linked the case was linked to serial killer John Cooper so serial there was obviously in 2011-ish the conviction of serial killer John Cooper in May 2011 I was right actually um, all kind of came out in Wales and over a 20 year period um, John Cooper had murdered four people, raped and sexually assaulted two teenage girls at gunpoint and was responsible for an estimated 30 burglaries in Wales so this is actually known as the Pembrokeshire murders, like you probably maybe know it as that name but that is John Cooper if anyone's interested we could do an episode on it, um, but that's what is known as the Pembroke, Pembrokeshire murders now they actually, after he was convicted, they start thinking that he might be responsible for other unsolved mur murders. And some of the unsolved murders they think of are the murder of Harry and Meghan Toos. Now, the similarities is that in two previously known double murders, he had shot his victim uh, victims at point blank rage with a shotgun. He also made attempts to kind of hide the bodies and he actually kind of known, obviously, the area and had like meticulously planned his actions. So... We were talking about this. Um, the weapon was potentially brought. The bodies were covered. It was at close range with someone who was either confident or knew shotguns. So this is called kind of matching in to the kind of actions that John Cooper took when he was killing his people. He was also known to have committed like two in the past. So could he have actually gone to the Tuesdays that afternoon? But obviously there is all like 
the cons as well to this being a theory is because he actually was known to shoot his victims in the face, whereas they were killed with shots to the back of the head. So this is where it's kind of like, mm. also, Cooper was charged with loads of crimes of robbery because he always stole from the people he killed, even if it was like stupid amounts. But as we said, Harry too has had £75 in his pocket and there was loads of jewellery. So there's your kind of connection there. They also don't have any proper connection of him being in Lanharry, even though he did attend a hospital appointment the same year as the murders in a, lo- a location, sorry, proximate in proximity to Lanharry, but there is actually no proof of him being in Lanharry. Also, they then said he was, obviously we'll go back to the main theory, they were expecting a visitor. There is no evidence that they knew him at all let alone expected him as a visitor, but then people started going like, oh, maybe they knew John Cooper, maybe all this. Obviously, people are clutching at straws. People love a conspiracy theory, and I think that's where people are at. What I'm going to leave you with is three questions, because this is one of those cases that I have lied thinking about and being like, I need answers, and you're probably never going to get them. So if I have to think about these questions, I'm going to ask you. And my three questions were, one, how was Cheryl so sure it wasn't Jonathan? That is my main kind of thing. How could you be so sure? I love my partner to bits, but if he was sentenced and tried for murder of my parents and was found guilty, I would be like, mm. but she was adamant from the minute it started. She has never doubted him at all. She cannot vouch for where he was. So that's when I'm then like, okay, people have then spun it on its head. She didn't go see her parents in Wales when they got the call. Was it a double thing? Were they both involved? And... Do you know, was that why she didn't even bother going to Wales? Because she knew that he was going to kill them. She knew that they were dead. But then I think, would you not have then been a better alibi and said you'd spent the day with them? Anyway, two, who wrote the letters to the police? They didn't even kind of tell you in what context it was. Was it a witness? Was it the person saying they were the murder? Was it someone saying they knew something? Was it someone saying they knew where something was? Who wrote the letter to the police? And more importantly, what was in the letter? I'm dying to know what was in that letter. But again, it's never been announced. I don't think it will be. And third... Who were they expecting that day? They were expecting someone. Harry shirtly out on the bed, the fine china out. They were expecting someone for lunch. And that's the thing. If they, I believe if they were not murdered by Jonathan, they were murdered by the person they were expecting to come for lunch. Because why would this person not come forward? If you were coming to my house for lunch and someone ended up murdering me, you'd come to the police and say, well, actually, I was due to see her that day. Why has that person never come forward? Because I believe it is the person that then went on to murder them, if it wasn't Jonathan. So I will leave you with those three questions. If you have any answers, any theories about the questions, please message me on Instagram, on the Crime Pod, because I'm genuinely spinning these three questions around my head, so I'd love to have any insight to them. Starting with your Samantha, please. That's just absolutely wild. So wild. Um, from the very beginning, when you said Jonathan took three hours to get, like, two minutes, I was like, right, he did it. But now at the end, I'm like, oh, did he? I really don't know. Your last question, if it was Jonathan, my theory would be, he knows them. You know, you know your in-laws. He would know to kill them, set out the fine china and put Harry's shirt on the bed to make it look like someone was coming for lunch. Possibly Cheryl was in on it. Could be, because it's weird that she didn't go and see like go you know she had work yeah but your parents are in danger or you think they are I just really really do not know anymore but if it was a double one they knew they were getting 150 grand that's like the cost of two houses back then that's a lot of money but that's not what your rent was going to be 
you know if you missed rent. That's a bit OTT for missing a rent payment. Put on a credit card or something. So all in all, in conclusion, I have no idea. Sorry. No, that's fine. That is exactly where I am, where I'm generally just like, we can't say, like, I understand the rent thing is shit, but we can't, that's not a good enough reason to go and murder your parents. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. way in hell you could then say, okay, well, actually, that's, I'm going to have to murder your parents, sorry about that. So there's just so many things. And I was with you when I started doing the research for this. I was like, Jonathan's guilty sin, sent him to jail. And I was like, knew it. And then he went out and I was like, oh. So I really don't know either. I really don't know. So please, please, please message us if you've got any theories or if you're from Wales and know more about this case than we do, I would genuinely love to hear it. I'm now going to go lie down in a dark room and think those two questions over in my head. <laughs> Thank you.